0: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You heard her. Go subscribe.
0: And I always say it was by design that we were taught that healing is a luxury, right? That healing is not for us, it's by design.
1: Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on diversity, inclusion, and understanding for Black cultures through conversations that help us connect to ourselves and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I'm your host, Monique Russell. Today, in my guest chair... I have an award-winning psychologist. She's the founder of an organization focused on mental health services for people of color called In a Psych. She's the host of a video podcast called Thriving Thursdays, a professional speaker and trainer, and an all-around empowerment individual. Her name is Dr. Charmaine Jackman. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that warm welcome. Like, who is she talking about? (laughs) I'm talking
1: about you. I can't wait to get into our conversation. So Dr. Charmaine Jackman, you know, I always like to ask my guests, the very, very first question is if you could choose to be anywhere in the world, where would you choose to be and why?
0: Well, given the two years we've had with the global pandemic, If I could be anywhere right now, it would be on the beach, Brandon Beach in Barbados. It's one of my sweet spots. It's just whenever I go home, that's the first beach that I will hit. So I'm living in the Boston area. So right now it's cold and I just need some warmth, sun and water to just envelop me.
1: Oh my goodness. Can you please take me with you? Because that's exactly where I want to be on the beach, just like you. Let's go. Let's Let's go. go. So Barbados. Okay. Dr. Charmaine, I just want to jump right on into our topic today because you have created a platform for people of color to really embrace and remove this stigma around mental health and mental well being. And you focus specifically on people of color. And I'm curious, why have you chosen to focus on this niche?
0: Thank you so much for that question. And it's been a wonderful journey. You know, I have always in my career focused on communities of color when um, I'm trained as a psychologist. And so I just found myself drawn to helping my people many of us have barriers that prevent us from seeking mental health support. And so I think I make it my personal mission that when someone walks in to my waiting room and they see me, that I'll be their therapist and the joy that they have. So I have just seen, you know, throughout my training, just the joy that people have, just knowing that they're going to have a therapist who understands them. But over the years, it's really been an opportunity to give something and offer something to a community that's really never accessed or saw therapy as something that could be helpful. And I always say it was by design that we were taught that healing is a luxury, right? That healing is not for us, it's by design. And so now it's by my design that we recreate that narrative about who has access to therapy and who should get therapy. And I use therapy generically, right? There are lots of different modes of therapy. It's really about healing for us individually and healing for our communities and our generations.
1: I love that you said that we've been taught to see healing as a luxury, but it's not. <laughs> That was really powerful. Um, And then being able to shift that narrative because there's been so much stigma around getting mental help and getting uh, support for your mental well-being. But if we could shift that narrative, like, okay, healing is a necessity. It's just like Mm -hmm. eating. Then I think we could open up that conversation. And you touched on the barriers to you know, Black people and people of color embracing this new narrative? Mm-hmm. What are some of the barriers that you are mentioning when you talk about that?
0: There is a history of structural systemic racism, white supremacy. And so with that, you know, our bodies have been used for experiments without our permission. There are a number of number of studies that talk about the first gynecologists use three Black women to experiment, often without anesthesia and without their permission. Um, We know about the Tuskegee studies where Black men were infected with syphilis. We've had the forced sterilization of Black and Latinx women. There's this history of events and situations where Black and brown bodies were used in the name of science without our permission. And so with that comes... A mistrust of the medical system. And so people don't trust people who come from hospitals
1: mm-hmm.
0: or who are trying to I put in quotes, sell this brand of medicine that doesn't connect to our indigenous sources of healing and indigenous practices of healing. So those are, those are some of the barriers, right? Then you have the barrier of finding a therapist who actually understands or comes from a similar cultural background. So mental health professionals of color make up about 15% on a good day. One five. Workforce. One five. Okay. One five. So that's like finding a needle in a haystack, right? So if you're looking to find a therapist of color, it's going to be really hard and even more so now. So right, having access to someone who understands your cultural background. I would say, and then the other piece, you may actually find someone who who comes from your cultural background, but the way that therapy was formed and designed um, did not have people of color in mind, did not have black people in mind. Mm. And so I have had to relearn through my internships and working in communities of color, how do I actually translate what I learned from the white psychology system to make it relevant For people in communities of color so i've had to do that work but if we're not interrogating that work then we may actually be causing harm by the way that we
1: were trained okay there's a barrier (laughs) i i I just need to pause right there because that right there was whoa okay loaded like okay therapy wasn't designed for the black person in mind and so the modalities, the approach, the practices in its normal default form aren't really the tools that we need to accelerate our healing. Can you just expand yeah. on that a little bit? Um,
0: yes. Yeah. So, And I would say, I would even go a little step further, is that Our cultural experiences, our way of being with each other in community has also been pathologized. And by that, I mean, they have been determined through that system of colonialism and white supremacy that there's something wrong with the way that we communicate, the way that we interact with each other, or the way that we respond to racism. Right. So if we respond to racism with anger and paranoia, then there's something wrong with us, rather than naming that system. So, yeah, so let me break that down for you a bit more. Wow. So, you know, the forefathers of psychology are Sigmund Freud and lots of white men. <laughs> and so, you know, how we were trained did not consider people of color. I would say I am almost 30 years out of graduate school. I know that feels like a lot when we're learning about working with other cultures, it was a one course and it was like an add-on. And so we would talk about diversity, how to work with black clients, how to work with Latino clients, how to work with Asian clients. It was all these separate, like we were all a monolith. And that was the only way we talked about people of color. In your other courses, you could go through a whole semester, two semesters and not engage or think about the experiences of people of color. Through those lens, whether it's theoretical approaches, whether it was, you know, understanding anatomy and biology, whatever the courses were, the multicultural course with a separate course, and then there was the regular curriculum. And so, you know, you could go through your education and not have to think about people of color. And you could still go through, you could get a degree, and even though we're required to have continuing education to be licensed. Most states, including the state that I live in, don't require any particular attention to diversity, equity, cross-cultural training as part of that ongoing education. So I do it every year, even though I'm an expert, I do this work, but there's always something for me to learn. So there are definitely providers out there who don't see it as important. Mm -hmm. And so if you come to their door, the risk of experiencing harm, racism, are the types of isms and phobias, xenophobia, Islamophobia, whatever it is, that is more likely. And unfortunately, that's been the experiences of some people. As I do this work around providing access, people tell me their stories about experiencing racism in that therapy space. Oh, wow, which is very harmful. And it could be from someone who is a person of color who are at a different stage of their racial identity development and and don't really understand it or think that's important. So that's part of it, right? So our training just did not consider people of color. You think about the timing of psychology, right? It was in an era where there was slavery. And so a lot of those messages get embedded into our theoretical frameworks.
1: This is such a powerful conversation, Dr. Charmaine, because (laughs) I I had in mind one thing about what we're going to talk about. My God, like this here, what's coming up? and i think this is just the beauty of having experts like you talk to mm-hmm. us so that we could think critically about the decisions and choices that we make you know mm-hmm. i'm taking out of this this lesson is wow okay question everything understand deeper even when it comes to healing the erasure of black people yeah. and people of color even in systems that are supposedly designed to help could actually harm, and then something you just said is that even it could even be a person of color who hasn't fully embraced their own identity, mm-hmm. which that's just gonna lead me to the question around connecting to the African identity. Like, mm-hmm. what is the uh, connection? Like, how does that help us to facilitate mental health and and well being? And I would even yeah. tack on you know, for someone who, like you said, hasn't embraced that aspect?
0: Thank you so much for this question. And I would say, you know, I have been working in communities of color, again, over 20 years at this point. And it's really been in probably the last five years that I've really thought about how do I integrate this African identity into my work? And I think it was there, right? It was always there because it's a part of who I am, but I've been more intentional. And I think a lot of people are in that space, right, really looking to reclaim their African identity, connect to their African roots. And it's powerful because when you actually start to do that work, you look at the history, you realize that there's so much power. There's so much wisdom in our ancestors, right, that we came from, and I love that there's this woman who did a a board during Black History Month for her students, and it says, you did not come from slaves. You came from scientists, mathematicians, astronomers. And I'm like, yes, it's such a powerful, empowering message that who do we really come from, right? When we investigate, when we throw away those history books we got in school and actually Mm -hmm. do our own research, we find like what power there is, what affirmations, what healing tools were already part of our culture you know, it's funny because my husband and my husband's from Haiti and from Barbados, and we kind of make fun of our moms because there's a tea for everything,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> Just drink some
0: tea. But, you know, there's a tea leaves, and my mom has a bag of leaves. And and so we would make fun of that, but then it's like that is part of our healing, right? There's some things that are medicinal. There are these leaves that there's some oral culture that was passed on. And these leaves actually help with different things. And so I am embracing that now, right? And so it's a part of embracing our, our history, our knowledge, our wisdom, and our ancestors, I had an opportunity to participate in an emotional healing circle by this group called Community Healing Network. And it's really about how are we embracing, how are we understanding the African identity and how to integrate it. So it was such a powerful life-changing experience for me. And I just wanna let all our people know, like, this is good, let's do this. Then also making that connection to psychology and what are some of the indigenous practices that we use that might've been appropriated by other cultures, but how can we reclaim those as part of our identity? And so I think for me to think about my work you know, talking about anti-Black racism, talking about our African identity, is about reclaiming our history and understanding that we came from so much and there's so much to be proud of and to be affirmed and empowered by. And I think it's such a powerful place where we're at with this context we're in that the backdrop of this racial reckoning and this challenging of white supremacy, that this also helps to bolster us in the face of white supremacy, right? It helps us stand up. It helps us not feel less than. It helps us feel empowered and being able to be right there with you and to know what we came from and to know where we're going and to know what beauty and knowledge and skills that we, we have, right? And how that we can take that. But how do we embrace that healing part so that we are fully who we can be?
1: Mm. So, wow. I am thinking of so much <laughs> right now because I, I hear you talk and I, and I'm thinking too about these indigenous practices and indigenous healing practices. Mm-hmm. And, and what comes up to mind is an interview I did with uh, Melody Capote. Um, she's over at the Caribbean Cultural Arts uh, in New York. Mm-hmm. And she talked about the power of the drum. You know, and Mm -hmm. and you can see the drum in different African cultures and in Cuba and uh, Mm -hmm. the Caribbean, and you see these um, sort of medicinal forms. Mm -hmm. Uh, The drum has its own spirit. And then you talk about the medicinal tea. And you think (laughs) about all of this, I see how the community aspect is so essential because traditionally, historically, we are. Uh, collaborative, community oriented, mm-hmm. driven people. I'm from Nigeria. My dad's from Nigeria. My mom's from the Bahamas. But for the longest time, I did not embrace that Nigerian aspect. And when you mm-hmm. talk about connecting and reclaiming African identity, and its acceleration to the path of healing, I personally can relate to that. Because I know mm-hmm. once I started to embrace you know, who I was. And I mean, you know, Nigeria is is in the news for a lot of things and half of them are not positive, right? Scams Mm -hmm. and all this corruption or whatever have you. So Mm -hmm. who would want to embrace and connect with that? But what I did was connect to all parts of my identity and that helped to give me the confidence to share and move forward. So my question to you is, I know you connected and you said you're now re-embracing or embracing it more. But what did that process look like for you personally to really step into embracing the identity even more? Or was it always there?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I'm going to take you back a little bit. You know, so I grew up
1: in Barbados,
0: and Barbados is a country that's 95% or so Black, right? So I would say 99.9% of my teachers throughout my, you know, up till I left the country. Were black, I remember, I think I had one white teacher who didn't last too long. And there was one woman who was multiracial, multi-ethnic. So there was never a question about my intelligence, you know, my abilities. There were definitely colorism, right? So there are different standards of beauty, right? So there was that. But I never felt less than because of the color of my skin in that way. I, I, I didn't worry about that. And really about my identity as a Black woman, I think I only thought about that when I came to this country, right? I came for college. and So, you know, landed in Iowa of all places. I remember my best friend and I came together and her big sister was chaperoning us as, you know, we're two little girls going to this foreign country. And so we had a little chaperone. I remember like we got on campus and we were crossing the street and this car drove by and some white boys were in the car and yelled out the N-word. And literally, this was probably two days into being in were Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, I think, you know, it was like a little bit of outrage, but it's not something that stayed with us, right? Because we came to a place where like, we knew who we were. But I think there was some time over that journey where, you know, I definitely lost some confidence. Um, you know, trying to fit in. There were a lot of Black students there, but there were often, there were tensions, not necessarily negative tensions, but like there were people who would make fun of our accents, right? So there was a way which you were othered, right? You were different. I think it was all in good fun, but it didn't feel that in the space. So there are ways in which I think that impacted my accent to some extent. And then being in grad school, again, like it was real about, you know, getting my degree. And I always knew as a Black woman, you know, throughout that process, But I think there was a phase where I was kind of wrestling with that in some ways. You know, and I always go back home, right? And going back home is always a great way to center you. Definitely. (laughs) Check you. (laughs) So that's always been a part of helping me to maintain who I am. So that reinvigoration of, you know, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're whatever. I think that's been there. I would say the other experience... Which really helped in that reclaiming of African identity more so, because I think holding on to my Barbadian identity was always there. But similar to you, like that, the African identity was something a little bit different. I had the experience to go to Haiti for an immersion experience um, in 2014. And again, my husband's Haitian, So, and this was my first time going, we were at a hotel. Um, it, it was with a university group, but on the hotel, there was a, a museum which really taught about the history of Haiti and Haiti's impact on kind of really the starting point for revolution, how the enslaved revolted. And one of the things that was like life-changing for me was this perception of voodoo, right? So I grew up with voodoo being this kind of,
1: Ooh, don't.
0: right, we call it Obey in my country, but it's like, oh, you know, like this black magic, it's harmful, so... Is always something to be kind of a scared of. But what this historian and this young guy, he was so powerful. The thing that really stood up for me that trip, and I remember like a there was a, a an art piece that showed, you know, the enslaved in circles with drums and fire, and it was like a voodoo circle. But what he taught us was those ceremonies and those coming together in community we talk about was really the way that they planned their revolution and the importance that voodoo played in that revolution. like, wow, no wonder y'all don't want us to embrace that, right? We <laughs> don't want us to come
1: together. Question <laughs> everything. Right? So
0: I'm like, wow, that was so, it was mind shattering for me. And so I just love that. And so from that point, it's just been learning more, digging in, getting more experiences. But also whenever you hear Voodoo, nope, you're not going to use Voodoo in that negative way. Nope, here's what Voodoo means. Here's how Voodoo contributed to um, the freedom of my people, essentially. So those are just some experiences that just helped really to question everything as you're saying, but relearning what we're taught of history, right? And how are we digging in? What are you reading? Mm. Um, So that's been really, really empowering and affirming for me.
1: I love that. And I think for all those that are listening to really take away the importance of that relearning and what I got out of that story that you shared too, is also the way that we learn as people, you know, we're very, very much experiential, you know, Mm hands-on immersive, as opposed to the knowledge driven intellectual. We can't really intellectualize our way out of these feelings. We have to feel, you know, have to feel it. And so now I'm I'm thinking about the family because this is all about community. And I know just being around a lot of dysfunction, even in my early childhood, the family is so important. And I think as we embrace this mental well-being and mental healing, I came across a quote, one of the quotes that you shared as being one of your favorites. And it says, your healing means that you will not pass on your trauma To Your Descendants by Rezma Menachem. And for those who want to have a better relationship with their children, what does this mean? Why is this a favorite quote for you?
0: Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I have learned is the way that we historically have raised our children, and think about the Caribbean, right, has been influenced by... Slavery and how we were abused and traumatized. And so, unfortunately, we pass on those ways of being. So, we pass on corporal discipline, right? We pass on withholding love and affection. Mm. We pass on our trauma, right? And one of the things that I've learned through this journey is that one of the reasons that people were afraid to show emotion. Because if you you got too attached with a child, it could be taken from you at any moment, right, in the era of slavery. And so it was a matter of survival. And so unfortunately, we're still practicing those survival moments, those survival experiences, even though those fears or those realities aren't there, although they are, right? You think about the social service system, you think about the police system, those fears are very much there about your child being taken from you, right? So... There's that reality there, but, you know, on a, on a day-to-day level, right? There's no reason to be afraid that a plantation owner, a slave owner will take your child, right? We're not living that reality, but we pass on those ways of being. And so it's so important for us there to challenge that. And I think I held some anger towards my parents at one point. Right. And then it came to like, they are doing what they know. Right. And so every generation has to find no more right so we're not passing that on how we raise our children how we speak to our children do we speak to our children with love do we speak to our children with a mind of abundance or we're constantly saying no to them right which is often raised and I actually caught myself doing that with my children and I was like oh and I'm being around their friends their white friends like oh they're, they're having a very different experience right so If we're raising our children in a a mindset of scarcity, a mindset of they don't belong, they're going to carry that out as adults, right? So how do we help them embrace ownership of every space that they're in? How do we help them express their emotions, all of them, whether we we like them or not, (laughs) whether we agree with them or not, how do we help them express their emotions? How do we nurture them when They're in pain, right? How do we hug and and kiss them versus, you know, doing that tough love thing, right? And so how are we really challenging how we were raised, right, there was a function to it. And part of that is the function of generational trauma. So how are we disrupting those patterns? And it's really important as we think about how we raise our children. And it's so easy, right? It's so easy to just do what was done to you. It's familiar. You don't have to think about it. It is really hard to raise your children through a trauma-informed healing practice. It takes a lot of work, especially if you come from a history or you were raised in a way that was trauma, right? So it's really hard to interrupt those patterns, but we owe it to our children. We owe it to the next generation and the next generation to start to disrupt those patterns.
1: I see why your passion is to create this platform (laughs) for communities of color it's definitely needed can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about the platform that you have and how you see it helping us along this path of trauma and healing
0: yeah thank you and I just have to say thank you again for being here and for these questions you know A lot of times, you know, I'm so removed from my why sometimes, right? And so this is a great reminder of why this work is so important. Um, And it's been a journey that I'm on too, right? I don't put it out there like I'm the expert and I have it all figured out. This is day-to-day work for myself.
1: But I will say you are the expert. (laughs) You are the expert. (laughs) You may not say it, I'll say it. You are the expert. Okay,
0: all right, thank you, I got it. Um, But InnoPsych really came out of an experience where working with with different people, you know, again, part of my platform is educating our communities about mental health and mental well-being. And people will come up to me after a talk and say, oh, this is really helpful. You know, I'd I'd like to meet with a therapist. Can you help me find one? And so I would do that. You know, I have a network. And so I do that for folks. Um, Then it started to become a little bit, (laughs) a lot, right? I couldn't really manage it. But then the precipitating moment was I was looking for a therapist for myself and it literally took over six months to find a therapist. Wow. It was a little bit more than that. I'd say six months, but it was a little bit more than that. And, you know, if we make the decision to come to therapy, it's not because life is roses. We don't want to just process some light situation, right? It's probably things are really crappy. and you are fought through all the barriers. You might be doing this in secret. You're not telling your family. Right. And so if this process is going to take six months, you're going to give up and worse, right. Because of the work I'm in, I see people who are at a place where they don't see options. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the option is fatal. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was really important to me that when people are ready it should not be a hard process. It should be really easy. It should not be overwhelming. It should be really easy and fast to get that support. And while you're, maybe you're not there yet. So we're going to give you some content, some information that helps you understand why this is important, why understanding your healing is important while doing things every day to promote your healing, to promote joy, To more well being is important. So that's what the platform is about education and access to emotional well being and healing.
1: Fantastic. So, if anyone is looking for a therapist of color, they can come to this platform, they can sign up, they can be matched or or find one that fits their interests. Yes.
0: And we really wanted to make sure, so we have six search criteria, so you can look by where, you know, what state you're in what insurance you have, right, because that's often a barrier, but you can look, not just is a the therapist Black, but is a the therapist African, are they Caribbean, are they Brazilian, right, so we also have a number of different criteria, you can tell what language they speak, because when we're talking about emotions, you may want to speak in your first language, right, that's how you feel in your first language, so Wanting people to have those different tools that makes that process much easier for them.
1: Wow, that is absolutely incredible. Being able to speak and share your feelings in your native language takes the whole safe, judgment free feeling mm-hmm. to an accelerated level. I just yeah. absolutely love what you are about, I love what you represent. And I love this platform. Everyone that is listening, make sure that you find Dr. Charmaine Jackman. Tell her how incredible this episode was. A few of the things that she shared was definitely really insightful for me. You know, if you get too attached to your kid in the past, you were you used to coping from a scarcity, from a detachment model. And that's something that has been passed down generationally. So learning how to shift this narrative is essential for us. Medicinal practices in the past have created distrust. So you did not just get your fear out of the thin air. It came from somewhere. So learning and understanding how this has formed and how you think the way you think or feel the way you feel is important. Indigenous healing practices is something that we should all embrace. It's a part of who we are. Even if you're not at that place where you feel like I'm connected to my African identity, your goal is healing. Just use the tools, use the process to heal yourself. And healing is not a luxury. It's not a luxury. It is a necessity. (laughs) Traditional is medicinal. So definitely make sure that you look at those ancient traditions, embrace them for your family, embrace them for yourself, embrace them. Uh, most of all for your community. Dr. Charmaine Jackman, is there anything that you'd like to share before we begin to close?
0: I really appreciated this one. The time went so fast. And I just want to close by saying, I know we often hear this from surviving to thriving. It's the Maya Angelou quote. And really, this is our time to thrive. And so I hope that you're doing one small thing every day, to promote your thriving and promote joy in your life.
1: Fantastic. And there you have it, folks. Make sure that you connect with Dr. Charmaine Jackman on her website, on her LinkedIn, her social media pages. Tell her how much you love this episode and take it a step further. Share it with a friend, have a conversation. Until next time, take care, be well, and remember to give us a five-star rating anywhere you listen to this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to The Bridge to You. Thanks for listening to The Bridge to You podcast. Visit Solutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach.
0: This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit MarketingPodcasts.net.